The left defends Antifa. We talk about Confederate statutes and why we're really talking about Confederate statutes. And we talk about the Republican response to everything Trump-related. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. So, if possible, everything is worse. Yesterday, I left the show by saying, can we have a good day? Apparently, no one listened, so they decided to have an incredibly crappy day. Well done, everyone. Just a great job all around. We're going to talk today a lot about why the left seems to now be defending violence, why it is that Antifa has to be turned into heroes, why that was their ultimate goal in the first place. Also, we'll talk about Confederate statues. Should they be removed? Confederate monuments. Why are we even talking about Confederate monuments? What the goals are of the various political sides, and even discussing this, and we'll go through the various arguments for and against keeping them. But before we do any of that, first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Wink. So if you feel like you need a drink, like me, right now, then you should sign up as a member over at Wink. Actually, it's great if you're going over to somebody's house and you don't know anything about wine, but you want to bring the best wine to go with their meal, a wine that everybody's going to enjoy and you don't want to break the bank, then you go over to Wink. And what they do is it's trywink.com, W-I-N-C.com, trywink.com. And you take a brief palate profile quiz, and then Wink recommends distinct and interesting wines customized to your palate. It allows you to know what goes with whatever meal is going to be served that night. You don't have to run to the store. It's shipped directly to your house. And right now, Wink is offering listeners $20 off your first order when you go to trywink.com slash Ben. That's trywink.com slash Ben. Again, it's W-I-N-C dot com slash Ben. They cover the cost of shipping. And by the way, a normal bottle costs like $9.99 at Wink. It's like 10 bucks a bottle at Wink. So $20 off your first order when you go to trywink.com slash Ben. Uh, it is top-notch wine, well-reviewed by everyone who's tasted it. People in the office are routinely drunk because of trywink.com. Uh, which makes them happier, uh, but makes us less productive as a company. But that's all thanks to trywink.com. You can have, uh, y- you can make it look like you actually know what you're doing with wine and have a great wine uh, if you just want to be home having dinner with a loved one. Trywink.com slash Ben, uh, and make sure you use that slash Ben so they know we sent you, and you get that, 25, that $20 off your first order. Okay, so it seems that the left had an ulterior motive when it comes to the events in Charlottesville. I don't mean that they organized the events in Charlottesville with an intent toward what happened to that that innocent young woman, or that it's their fault that they went there and counter-protested an evil white supremacist movement. And spare me all of the talk about how there were lots of wonderful people at the at the evil white supremacist movement. The thing was pitched as a white supremacist rally. Okay, that's just the way that it was. Okay, but it is clear that one of the goals of the left, and it has been for now a year, and, and Charlottesville allowed them to do this with some level of credibility, is they are now attempting pretty overtly to legitimize the Antifa movement. The Antifa movement is a deeply violent movement that seeks to use violence against all the people they oppose. And the media have basically covered up the level of violence that Antifa is engaged in. So yesterday, uh, we, we got news that another rally in Richmond, Virginia, where a bunch of Antifa people showed up, uh, there was a journalist who really got clocked. Uh, we have a couple of pictures of what happened to that journalist. Uh, so here is a picture of the journalist after the journalist got clocked by an Antifa member. And here is another picture of the journalist's head after the journalist was clocked by the Antifa member. Four staples in the head, concussion from the Antifa member. This was not covered in any real way by the media more broadly. They basically suggested that none of this sort of stuff happened and that when Trump said that the alt-left was charging into people, that was that was not true. Again, it was true. Okay, what Trump said there was true. He said some things during that press conference that really I thought were, were quite upsetting morally, but that was not one of them. When he went after the what he called the alt-left, by which he meant Antifa, he was exactly right to do so. Antifa is a violent, vile group. Uh, and 
you're, you're seeing this, unfortunately, this notion spread around the country that Antifa, violence against Nazis is okay. We had this conversation a while back when Richard Spencer, who is a neo-Nazi, uh, a white supremacist, was punched in the head. And a lot of people on the left celebrated. Yay, Richard Spencer was punched in the head. And I said at the time, I think Richard Spencer is vile, but you can't punch Nazis in the head. We live in a civilized country. Hey, you shouldn't be punching people in the head. This is why we have police. Uh, ideally, I mean, it's one thing to defend yourself. It's a full other thing to, to go somewhere with the intent of engaging in violence. But the left seems now ensconced in this idea. There were two Washington Post op-eds in the course of 48 hours basically endorsing Antifa. So one of them was from a professor named N.D.B. Connolly of Johns Hopkins University. And he wrote an entire piece called Charlottesville showed that liberals, that, that liberalism can't defeat white supremacy, only direct action can. In other words, we can't have votes. We can't have conversations. We can't have debates. No, only white supremacy, the white supremacy can only be, be defeated by throwing what he calls rocks. And this is, this is seriously what he writes. He writes, liberalism, paper, preserves our country's long commitment to contracts. Under liberalism, citizens stand in contract with their government. The government's job in turn has been to enforce contracts between individuals and groups. But, Connolly continues, white supremacy represents our culture's scissors. There have been people historically cut out of our social contract, but there is a rock, right? It's rock, paper, scissors. There is a rock, resistance. Okay, resistance is the rock. And he says, rocks can look like armed self-defense or nonviolent direct action campaigns. Well, those are not the same thing at all. Okay, nonviolent direct action campaigns like boycotts, that's not the same thing as punching somebody in the head or throwing rocks. He goes on to talk about why violence is okay. He says, in April 1968, amid a flurry of other rocks, riots shook American cities following the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. It took that rolling unrest, not the promise of further economic growth, to spur President Lyndon Johnson and Congress to action. Within a week, they had passed the Fair Housing Act. Over the past century, liberalism, vexed by an ever-sharp, ever-cutting white supremacy, has needed these rocks. So riots are necessary. So burning down Detroit, burning down Los Angeles in the Watts riot, that was necessary. And then he concludes, segregationists have assu again assumed their pedestals in the Justice Department, the White House, and many other American temple temples. Okay, by the way, uh, Jeff Sessions immediately called this a hate crime and said he was going to investigate this as a terrorist incident. So that's just nonsense. And when he says segregationists in the White House, Trump isn't a segregationist. Okay, I don't like what Trump said. I've been very clear that I didn't like what Trump said on, on Tuesday or on Saturday. I think Trump sometimes fellow travels with the alt-right because he thinks they're his friends, but he's not a segregationist. Okay, Connolly concludes, paper alone won't drive them out. Start throwing rocks. So overtly calling for violence, overtly calling for violence in the streets in a country that is highly law-abiding, where levels of violence are at their lowest levels on average in, in 50 years, basically. I mean, this is, this is really, really vile stuff. It's, by the way, it's also historically ignorant. And this is another point I think worth making. Riots in America have not forwarded the cause. Riots in America have made the cause worse. Detroit, before the Detroit riots of 1967, 1968, before those Detroit riots happened, Detroit was the fastest growing black city in America. It was, it was an economic hub. Black families earned 95% on average what white families earned in the city of Detroit. Desegregation was happening wholesale in Detroit. Housing was being desegregated in Detroit. And then after the riots, you got white flight. People left. The tax base eroded. They raised taxes in order to take advantage of whatever smaller tax base was left. More people left. And that's how you hollow out a major city like Detroit. Riots have done the same thing in L.A. L.A. is a highly segregated city. I've lived my entire life here. L.A. is very, very segregated. South Central Los Angeles, or South Los Angeles, as they like to call it now, is, is very black. And East L.A. is very Hispanic. And Simi Valley is very white. Okay, it's a very segregated city. And one of the reasons is because of riots like the L.A. riots, or as Maxine Waters, that disgusting human being, called them the L.A. uprising, 
when black folks decided to, many black folks decided to burn their own neighborhoods and, and target Korean shopkeepers uh, in, in South Central over the Rodney King verdict. Okay, riots, throwing rocks is not a worthwhile thing in the United States. Again, self-defense is one thing. Riots are not self-defense. Riots are not self-defense. I'm not talking here about the lynch mob comes to get a black guy and he shoots them. Good for him. More power to him. That's why the NRA is useful. Okay, but I'm talking here about what he's talking about, the idea that Antifa needs to go out in the streets, and if the Nazis are marching, Antifa needs to go out and punch them in the head. He's not the only person saying this. Mark Bray is a historian and lecturer at Dartmouth University, and he's defending Antifa. He was on MSNBC fully defending this, this vile, violent communist anarchist group. How, does, how do far-right movements grow? I say they grow by becoming normalized, by not being confronted, by being able to present themselves as family-friendly and, and respectable. So part of the reason why the alt-right called themselves alt-right is to present that mainstream image. And the opposition that, that people showed in Charlottesville really uh, marred and tainted that. So I think that by showing up and confronting it, it prevents the ability of being able to be pre presented as mainstream. And, and connected that, I think really um, you need to be able to to prevent them from being able to organize. People who are involved in politics know that for movements to expand, they need to be able to organize and grow. And if you stop that, it, it prevents it. Okay, this is sheer nonsense. What he's saying here, that people who engaged in violence with the Nazis and, and, and white supremacists in Charlottesville did, did this country a service? Absolute, absolute crap. This is the, he, he wrote in his piece that the Antifa has been fighting Klansmen and fascists for years. And then he specifically talks about how they helped stop Hitler, except for how they didn't stop Hitler. Right, he says, in retrospect, anti-fascists have concluded it would have been much easier to stop Mussolini back in 1919 when his first fascist nucleus had 100 men, or to stamp out the far-right German Workers' Party, which had only 54 members when Hitler attended his first meeting, before he transformed it into the National Socialist German Workers' Party. So he says that, and not just, but, but he's saying they shouldn't just do this through education. He says the first anti-fascists fought Benito Mussolini's black shirts in the Italian countryside, exchanged fire with Adolf Hitler's brown shirts in the taverns and alleyways of Munich, and defended Madrid from Francisco Franco's insurgent nationalist army. Yeah, how'd that go? How'd that go? All three of those times, the bad guys won. So how'd that go? I, mean, I want to talk a little bit about this myth that, that armed violence by communists in the Weimar Republic would have stopped the Nazis. There was armed violence by communists in the Weimar Republic. It was one of the driving forces behind the Nazis' success. People looked at the communists and they said, okay, if we have to decide between communist violence and fascist violence, we'll go with the fascists. Okay, this is from Richard Evans's book, The Coming of the Third Reich. Quote, a graphic account of the life of the committed communist activists during the Weimar Republic was later provided by the memoirs of Richard Krebs. Clashes with the police strengthened his hatred of them and their bosses, the social democratic rulers of the city. The communists refused to work with the social democrats. It says, Krebs later described how committed communists would attend street demonstrations with pieces of lead piping in their belts and stones in their pockets ready to pelt the police with. I want to tell you the rest of this story and why it is that groups like Antifa only grow the alt-right, only grow the neo-Nazis, only grow the neo-Confederates, only grow the white supremacists. But before I do that, I first want to say thank you to our sponsors over at FrameBridge. FrameBridge.com is the place to get a frame and to get a really nice frame, a customized frame for very inexpensive prices. Here's the way it works. You go to FrameBridge.com, you upload your photo from your computer or directly from your Instagram feed, or if you have a physical item, you can send it directly to them and they provide secure secure prepaid packaging so you can mail it in for free. You can preview your photo online in any frame style that you like. You can choose your favorite. You can get free help from a consultant. The expert team at FrameBridge then delivers the frame to your, your door in days, not weeks or months. They deliver it ready to hang, so you can just stick it right on the wall. And instead of the hundreds that you would pay at a framing store for a custom frame, their prices start at 39 bucks, all shipping 
is free as well. I've used FrameBridge for my own posters. They, they charge an arm and a leg at a lot of the custom framing places around here if you want to frame a poster. FrameBridge is, FrameBridge is much less expensive and uh, much nicer, actually. My listeners right now get 15% off their first order at FrameBridge.com when they use my code Shapiro. FrameBridge.com and use my promo code Shapiro. Right now, they have a happiness guarantee as well. So if you aren't 100% satisfied with your order, they will make sure that it is right. Shapiro, okay, promo code Shapiro at framebridge.com. Again, that's framebridge.com slash Shapiro. I've used them. I'm very happy with them, and I think that you will be too. Okay, so it wasn't just that the communists and the Nazis went at one another. Paramilitary battles were common, by the way. Here are some statistics about the paramilitary battles. In the aftermath of World War I, the German army was essentially disbanded by the Versailles Treaty, and there were a lot of ex-military people roaming around. The communists grabbed some of them, and what were called the Free Corps, the Fry Corps, grabbed uh, Frycor, uh, grabbed, grabbed another. Uh, and uh, th- they formed things like the Steel Helmets and the Frycor. And these were, all, these were all militia groups, basically, local militia groups that wandered the countryside fighting each other and, quote-unquote, defending the population from the various entities. From 1924 to 1929, it was claimed that 29 Nazi activists had been killed by communists. Communists reported 92 workers had been killed in clashes with fascists from 24 to 30. 26 members of the Steel Helmets, the Steel Helmets were sort of this, uh, this veterans group, were said to have fallen in the fight against communism. In 1930, the figures rose dramatically in the lead-up to the Nazis taking power. This was a key factor in the rise of the Nazis. In 1930, the figures rose dramatically. The Nazis claimed to have suffered 17 deaths, rising to 42 in 1931, 84 in 1932. Remember, 1932 is the year the Nazis essentially paved their way to power. In 1932, the Nazis reported nearly 10,000 of their rank and file had been wounded in clashes with their opponents. Well, according to Mark Bray, wouldn't that have stopped them? I mean, you obviously had armed resistance. Why didn't that stop them? The communists reported 44 deaths in fights with the Nazis in 1930, 52 in 1931, 75 in the first six months of 1932 alone. And the number of dead in the year, uh, in the year to, March 1930, uh, to, to uh, March 1931 was no, no fewer than 300 dead in these various battles. I mean, serious, serious stuff. I mean, it makes Charlottesville look like, look like a, a piker's game, the number of people who are dying in these meetings. A communist would break up Nazi meetings. At one meeting, Krebs went and he broke up a Nazi speech by Hermann Goering. Right? Goering would, would become the second in command to Hitler. He said that he, quote, made sure that each man was armed with a blackjack or brass knuckles. A terrifying melee followed. Blackjacks, brass knuckles, clubs, heavy buckled belts, glasses, bottles were the weapons used. Goering, he stood calmly on the stage, his fists on his hips. Evans reports scenes like this were being played out all over Germany in the early 1930s. The Nazis made their money off these sorts of things. If you want to make the alt-right more popular, all you have to do is go out in the streets and fight them. Then they get to look tough. They get to look like they win. They get to look like they're victims at the same time, like they're fighting a defensive battle when really what they're doing is promulgating an evil ideology. Again, this is Richard Evans, okay? Goebbels made his reputation above all as regional leader of Berlin, where his fiery speeches, his incessant activity, his outrageous provocations of the Nazis' opponents, and his calculated staging of street fights and meeting hall brawls to gain the attention of the press won the party a mass of new adherents. Young, disenchanted men who have nothing better to do with their lives are looking for a movement to belong to and that will engage in violence. It makes them feel tough. It makes them feel special. This is why you see you know, Christopher Cantwell in that, in that Vice video talking about how many guns he carries and how he works out all the time and makes himself more ready for violence. This is a thing, okay? And when Antifa plays right into their hands, not only are they doing something evil when they shut down normal conservatives, they're doing something evil when they fight these Nazis in the streets with their fists. Okay, that's why we have police in this country. Okay, we have very able police in this country. And the idea that we need Antifa in the streets is some sort of 
grand and glorious mission is really disgusting. It's a way of legitimizing a group that, by the way, is communist, anarchist, and fights law-abiding people too, not just white supremacists, not just white supremacists. But this is just in line with uh, something that I think is really terrible, which is that I think everyone is taking advantage of racial conflagrations like this. They're, they're taking advantage of hot points like this to promulgate an image of their opponent. So the whole point, this is why we're talking about conservative sta uh, uh, Confederate statues, rather. So the reason that we're talking about Confederate statues has become a major issue now because President Trump uh, decided to make that an issue at his press conference a couple of days ago because the rally for the white supremacists took place around the Robert E. Lee statue and because the left is now calling for Stone Mountain to be taken down and they're talking about how uh, they need to get rid of various monuments all over the United States that include Confederate figures or pre-Confederate figures. So we need to ask ourselves, why are we even having this conversation? And I think it's worth recalling that in the aftermath of that evil piece of crap, Dylan Storm Roof, shooting 19 black people, murdering 19 black people at a, at a black church, a historically black church, uh, Dylan Storm Roof, uh, there's a picture of him with a Confederate flag, and we had a whole national conversation about the Confederate flag. Why is it that whenever somebody does something evil, we immediately jump to try to find some divisive symbol that we can all rally around or against? Why is it that we do that? And I would suggest that it has very little to do with the symbol and a lot more to do with political gamesmanship. It has a lot more to do with people trying to make political hay. Okay, so let's start at the beginning here. The controversy over Confederate statues has been a hot-button issue for decades. Okay, there are good arguments on both sides. In a second, I'm going to go through the arguments on both sides and what they mean and, uh, and whether they are worthwhile. But the question is, why in the aftermath of what we just saw in Charlottesville are we now talking about getting rid of all the Confederate statues? I mean, like a year ago, we got rid of all the Confederate flags, supposedly, and that obviously didn't tamp things down. So why is it that we keep going back to iconoclasm? Iconoclasm literally means taking down icons. Why is it that we're, we're attempting to do that now? Why is that an important thing? Okay, we're actually participating, I think, in a politically advantageous proxy argument. The people who want to get rid of the statues want to label everyone who wants to keep the statues a member of the alt-white right supremacists. Okay, that's actually what they want to do. So people who say, if you want to keep the statues, that's because you're a white supremacist. And then people who don't want to get rid of the statues, they say, in contrast, that everyone who wants to get rid of the statues just wants to wipe away American history. Now, there are people who back the Confederate statues who actually are white supremacists, as we saw in Charlottesville. And, and there are a lot of people on the left who want to use the Confederate statues as a club issue and want to get rid of all of American history. They want to get rid of Jefferson and Washington and what Trump was saying is true. There is a cadre of people who absolutely that is on their agenda. But those aren't the real honest arguments about this particular Confederate statue or that particular Confederate statue. All of this, all of this, all of this chaos, all of this fighting, all of it is being done in order to build particular movements. So let's start with the alt-right. Why did they have their rally around the, the Robert E. Lee statue in Charlottesville, Virginia, in the first place? Well, they chose to protest the removal for two reasons. One, they're actual white supremacists who find the uh, arguments of the Confederacy attractive about the racial supremacy of whites to blacks. Okay, but more importantly, the real reason they did this is because they know that there are many non-white supremacists, right? There are a lot of people who are not white supremacists who also oppose getting rid of the Robert E. Lee statue on other grounds, historic grounds, cultural grounds, the grounds that maybe this is a, a, a good opportunity to teach their children about the evils of slavery and the problems of Confederacy. Okay, the, the alt-right used these statues as a rallying cry because they're trying to draw it closer to the normies. Right? They're trying to say that normal people who don't want to get rid of the statues, by the way, the polls show a vast majority of Americans are not interested in getting rid of these statues, including, according to some polls, a majority of blacks. The idea that everyone wants to get rid of the statues is nonsense. The alt-right knows this, and so they pick 
a cause they think has a majority of support, like, let's not get rid of this Robert E. Lee statue. And then they rally around that, hoping to broaden their cause. So the left reacts in exactly the flip side way. So just as with Dylan Storm Roof, the left decides that it's very important now to label everyone who is their opponent a Nazi. Right? So everyone who opposes getting rid of these statues is now a member of the alt-right, according to the left. According to Antifa and the hard left, there are no good people who believe this. Now, this is not the same thing as what Trump said. Trump said there were good people who went to that rally on Friday night. I seriously doubt that. But what the right is saying is that there are some good people who believe that you shouldn't get rid of the statue. Undoubtedly true. The left is saying there are no good people. Then there are no good people who believe that you shouldn't get rid of the statue. Okay, they did the same thing with the Confederate flag. The idea was anybody who flies a Confederate flag must be uh, a redneck racist who wants to murder black people. Okay, it wasn't true then. It's not true now. And it's not true about the statues. How about President Trump? Well, President Trump also is acting out of political convenience. So the left has now broadened the rubric of bad guys to include anybody who opposes getting rid of the Lee statue. So Trump responds by defending anyone, anyone, who doesn't want statues of Lee torn down as decent. This is why he's tried to broaden out the argument, right? He's tried to say that not only are there a lot of decent people who don't want to get rid of the Lee statues, but, you know, if those people hang out with white supremacists on Friday nights, right, that's the problem. So everybody is now, so, so it's, it's the worst of all worlds. You've got the alt-right trying to unite with the normies who don't want to get rid of the, uh, of the Confederate statue. And then you've got the left trying to unite the normies with the alt-right by saying all of them don't want to get rid of the Confederate statue. And then you have Trump saying, uh, saying on behalf of the normies, well, you know, we're sort of on the same side as the alt-right. We don't want to get rid of the Confederate statues. And so what we end up with is this very, very polarized politics. And you're seeing it on the left routinely. And I, I think the left started this by, by trying to use the Confederate statues as a flashpoint and suggesting that everybody who, who wants to keep them is a racist. But I think that the right, the alt-right jumped on it, and now the right is falling into the trap. And I don't say that the right should get rid of the statues, but I think that we should at least understand which arguments are really going on. Okay, the arguments that are really going on are not the honest arguments. And I'm going to talk about the honest arguments over Confederate statues in just a minute, because there are honest arguments on both sides. I really do see them. Okay, I really do see the honest arguments on both sides, and I'll tell you about them. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Beachbody On Demand. So, you wouldn't know it to look at me, but dude, I'm chiseled. Okay, I am just a monster. And a lot of that is due to Beachbody On Demand. They have all the familiar brands, the ones that you like, P90X, Insanity, 21 Day Fix, Beachbody On Demand gives you access, unlimited access, to a wide variety of highly effective world-class workouts. If you're on the road, as I very often am, it's perfect. If you're in the hotel, you don't have to have your gear with you. I like working out at the gym, but if there's no gym available, Beachbody On Demand is the best. Plus, they now have dieting programs, nutrition programs. Uh, you know, I've been using P90X, and uh, it is a great program for sure. You, you feel better. You sleep better, actually, uh, and, uh, and you're just generally healthier. They have over 100 recipe videos, too, where you'll learn how to prep your meals. You can cook kid or vegan-friendly meals, even practice your bartending skills with healthy cocktails. This is a, a brand-new service from Beachbody On Demand. It already has over a million members. All you have to do to, to claim your free trial membership is you text Shapiro to 303030. So you text the number to 303030, and you text the word Shapiro to them, and you get full access to the entire platform for free. 
for free for their trial membership. So you get that trial membership. And again, this is step-by-step program guides, workout calendars, comprehensive nutrition plans, everything you need for working out, everything you need for being healthy and living a healthier life, you can do over at Beachbody On Demand. All you have to do is text the word Shapiro to 303030. Of course, by texting Shapiro to 303030, you're also letting them know that we sent you as well. Okay, so now I want to go through a couple of the actual honest arguments with regard to the Confederate statues. Because the only reason we're having this debate in the first place is so everyone can demagogue it. So the alt-right can demagogue it and pretend that everybody who opposes them wants to wipe away American history and they are really just siding with the normal American. You've got President Trump demagoguing it by saying that there are lots of good people who oppose getting rid of the Confederate statues. Therefore, a lot of the people on Friday night who are with these white supremacists are fine. Uh, and then you have the left demagoguing it by saying anyone who doesn't want to get rid of the Confederate statues is obviously an evil neo-Confederate. Everyone's demagoguing it. So let's talk about the actual arguments here. So this morning, President Trump tweets out three tweets on this. Uh, the first tweet, he tweets, excuse me, he tweets, sad to see the history and culture of our great country being ripped apart with the removal of our beautiful statues and monuments. You can't change history, but you can learn from it. Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, who's next? Washington and Jefferson? So foolish. Also, the beauty that is being taken out of our cities, towns, and parks will be greatly missed and never able to be comparably replaced. Okay, so he's basically making three arguments here. And the first argument is that statues of Confederate history should be left up to preserve our history and culture. Okay, he's not the only one who's made this argument before. Condoleezza Rice has made it from a slightly less, uh, from a slightly less positive point of view. Here's Condoleezza Rice making pretty much exactly that case. I am a, a firm believer in keep your history before you. And so I don't actually want to rename things that were named for slave owners. I want us to have to look at those names and recognize what they did and be able to tell our kids what they did and for them to have a sense of their own history. When you start wiping out your history, sanitizing your right. history to make you feel better, it's a bad thing. Okay, so she's making the same case that Trump is making, and I, I agree with this basic case. I think this case is basically right, that you leave the ugly parts of your history up so that people know about it. And also, it is worthwhile noting that there are a lot of people who are descendants of Confederate soldiers who see the monuments not as homages to slavery, as homages to slavery, but as homages to people who thought they were defending their states from federal encroachment, even if they were defending an evil cause in the process. Right. So I think there's a little bit more complexity than just everyone who likes the Confederate statues uh, is a racist, bigot, sexist, homophobe. Okay. And I think that Condi makes a good case, and I think the case there is is relatively strong. What's undercutting that case is the white supremacist actively doing what the left thinks most of America thinks about the, the Confederates. So let me make that clear. The left believes that most Americans think that these statues should stay up because they're racist. The actual reason that the white supremacists want the statues to stay up is because they're racist. So it's, it's, hard, it's, it's, it's a serious problem that the white supremacists are, are taking and using these symbols as rallying points. It's really quite demoralizing. Okay, so the second argument that Trump makes is the slippery slope argument. This is actually Trump's strongest argument, is the one that he made on, on Tuesday. He said that the left wants to wipe away all vestiges of American history, right? They want to get rid of Washington. They want to get rid of Jefferson. This is certainly true, okay? There are members of the left who want to do this. There's already talk. Al Sharpton is talking about how he wants to get rid of statues. Uh, people are talking about changing the name of Washington, D.C. I mean, the, the, as I mentioned yesterday, University of Missouri, there was a strong push to get rid of statues of Thomas Jefferson. In fact, I showed you video from that, I showed you video uh, from that Vice documentary about what happened in Charlottesville. And one of the things that happened is there was a black woman who was talking and she said, Thomas Jefferson's house sits up there on that hill. The slave master's house sits up there on that hill. And we should get, you know, that's just another monument. That's Charlottesville. Okay, so the idea that this stops with Robert E. Lee is not true. It will go back to Thomas Jefferson. No question. Now, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. 
And if we were logical, I think there's a fairly strong case for getting rid of monuments to Lee, but keeping monuments to Thomas Jefferson. The case for getting rid of the monuments to Lee, but keeping the, case, but keeping the one for Thomas Jefferson, is that, number one, Robert E. Lee himself opposed building monuments to Confederate soldiers because he thought that it would prevent unity, which apparently he was right. Um, but second, uh, Robert E. Lee was fighting for a rebel cause to break away from the Union. George Washington was fighting to uphold the Union. The question when you build a monument is, what are you celebrating? What are you, when you build a monument to MLK, you are not celebrating MLK's sexual peccadilloes, right? When you, when, you, when you build a monument to MLK, you're celebrating his message on race relations. When you build a monument to George Washington, you're not celebrating his slaveholding. You're celebrating his actions in the Revolutionary War and his establishment of the Constitution and his presidency, right? These are the things you're celebrating. Monuments celebrate causes, not just the people who are on the monuments. And so that's how you distinguish them, right? So Lee was for the rebellion. What are you celebrating when you celebrate Lee, right? Maybe, maybe you're making the case that you're celebrating a man who honorably thought that he was fighting for states' rights, even though he opposed slavery, uh, and, uh, or, or apparently opposed slavery, and, was, uh, and after he lost the war, was, was instrumental in trying to rally the country around a common point again. Right? Maybe that's what the monument is for, but that's a conversation worth having. There's no question when you have a Jefferson Memorial, for example, that that is not a monument to Jefferson's affair with Sally Hemings. That is a monument to, to Jefferson being uh, the father of the Declaration of Independence. Clearly, that's what the monument is for. So you don't have to engage in the slippery slope. This is the difference between slippery slope arguments. People get this wrong all the time. This is the difference between slippery slope arguments and application of principle arguments. A slippery slope argument says, if you allow them to do A, then they'll do B. If you allow them to do B, then they'll do C. An application of principle argument, like, for example, the argument that gay marriage will lead to polygamy, that's not actually a slippery slope argument. The argument there is that same-sex marriage redefines marriage as people who love each other. Polygamy can also be people who love each other, so you're applying the same principle, and you're just filling out what that principle means, right? So that's not the same thing as a slippery slope argument. This is an actual slippery slope argument. If you allow them to take Lee, then they will also take Jefferson and Washington. Unfortunately, it's a true argument, as the left is showing every day, and Trump is not wrong about all of this. Now, we'll get to the third argument that Trump makes in just a second, but for that, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com right now and subscribe for $9.99 a month. You get this show live, right? We are a video show. You get this show live. You get the Andrew Clavin show live. That's happening at 1030. You get the Michael Knowles show live. That happens at 1.30 in the afternoons. And they're all wonderful. They're all worth watching. You can be part of the mailbag in each. You can go give them a listen. Michael, I thought, did a really interesting interview yesterday uh, with a fellow who attended the Charlottesville March. Uh, and so you can go listen to that. Uh, it's, it's really worth listening to. Uh, you, you get all those things when you become a subscriber. You get to be part of the mailbag on all of those shows. Plus... You know, there are ads in our show. When we repost the shows later, you can cut those ads out. The, the ads don't exist in the, in the reposting that we do later just for members. So you just get the, sh the show completely straight without ads. If you become a subscriber for $99 a year, you get all of those things. Plus, you get this, the most magnificent of all vessels. The leftist tears, hot or cold mug, much sought after, much desired. I got an email from a guy yesterday who tried to make his own by, by pasting a piece of paper onto a hot mug. No, 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 that is not right. This is the only, the inimitable. The, you, you, you cannot duplicate it. It cannot be imitated. The leftist here is hot or cold mug. You get that for $99 a year, plus all those other wonderful things. And you support us, allow us to bring you the show, which is, of course, the most important thing. Uh, so go over there and check it out. If you want to listen later, go over to iTunes or SoundCloud. Uh, make sure that you leave us a review and subscribe. We always do appreciate it. We continue to be very, very strong on the iTunes charts. Uh, we are by far the largest conservative podcast in the nation.
Okay, so the third argument that Trump makes with regard to these Confederate statues is that the statues are aesthetically pleasing. Okay, this is a very dumb argument. So this is the worst of his arguments, that we'll never be able to beautify our parks again if we don't have a statue of Nathaniel Bedford Forrest. I'm pretty sure it'll be okay. I'm pretty sure it'll be okay. That, that's not a, a particularly good argument. I think there's an argument for some of them. Like, I think that Stone Mountain is, is an amazing monument. I mean, just aesthetically, it's an amazing thing. I mean, they carved these giant monuments into a mountain. That's pretty incredible. But uh, I don't think that, you know, some of, the, some of these statues that exist on street corners that nobody's looked at in 40 years, I don't think that those are, uh, that's a very weak case as opposed to the case that you see from a lot, of, a lot of people on the left, which I think is a fair case, where they say, hey, I'm a black taxpayer, and I don't feel like paying for somebody to polish the shoes of Nathaniel Bedford Forrest. I think that's totally fair. I think that's a totally fair argument. So those are arguments we can have, though, right? I mean, I'm just presenting you all the arguments. Those are arguments we can have. We're not going to have any of those arguments. We're going to stand in our various corners and scream at each other because that's what politics has become. Us standing in, each, in the corners, screaming at each other, the fringes getting less fringy, uh, the fringes getting more violent, and things getting worse. I, I think that, unfortunately, Charlottesville may be the beginning rather than the end, which is, uh, which is terrifying uh, in its own right. Between Antifa and, and the alt-right, uh, I just... Wow, I think things are moving in the wrong direction. Okay. Meanwhile, President Trump is trying to recover from the foolishness of, of holding a press conference that was completely counterproductive. Uh, he, uh, his business counsel basically resigned on him. Uh, and uh, the CEO of IBM presented a letter saying, we disbanded the business counsel. Uh, he wrote, team, by now you've heard the news. We have disbanded the president's strategy and policy forum. In the past week, we have seen and heard of public events and statements that run counter to our values as a country and a company. IBM has long said, and more importantly, demonstrated its commitment to a workplace and a society that is open, inclusive, and provides opportunities to all. And they denounce Charlottesville. And then they say, we have worked with every U.S. president since Woodrow Wilson. We are determinately nonpartisan. And we have always believed dialogue is critical to progress. That's why I joined the President's Forum earlier this year. This group can no longer serve the purpose for which it was formed. We agreed to disband the group. Okay, so they agreed to disband the group. So Trump tweets out that you can't, you can't quit. You're fired. He says, I'm ending the council. He says, rather than putting pressure on the business people of the Manufacturing Council and Strategy and Policy Forum, I'm ending both. Thank you all. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, when, they, when they issue a letter, like, who do you believe? You think Trump disbanded the forum? Or do you think that the, the people who are the CEOs were going to leave, and then Trump disbanded the forum, or they decided to disband it themselves? None of this is good. Apparently, Trump uh, is, is very proud of himself for this press conference. Uh, Steve Bannon is very proud of him for this press conference because he feels like, finally, we get down to the, the root of the battle. Finally, we get down to the identity politics battle. In fact, Steve said that directly to the New York Times. He said, the left's been engaging in identity politics for a while. Let them continue to do that, and we'll just play off of that. Uh, it's uh, not a good thing. The president of the United States should not be uh, celebrating the rise of identity politics on the left, uh, even though it's destroying the left. I don't think he should be celebrating that. He should be fighting it with every tooth and nail in his body, every bone in his body he should be fighting that with. Instead, I think that he's engaging with it. I, uh, apparently, Trump was telling people that he has no regrets. Um, I think that he should actually get the tattoo that says no regrets. Uh, it's it's like you, you should at this point have some regrets about about what state you see the country in. And obviously, this is not all Trump's fault. It was like this before uh, Obama had exacerbated racial tensions to a tremendous degree. Look at the Gallup polls. Um, but this is definitely not helping. Bannon, by the way, seems to be in trouble. Uh, Bannon did that. Uh, he did an interview with the American Prospect. He called up a guy at the American Prospect 
which is a very far-left organization, and began ranting to him about globalists like Gary Cohn, and he started yelling about Trump's North Korea policy, saying there's no chance we're going to do anything military in North Korea, obviously. Uh, and, and then the guy printed it. And so Bannon's been trying to backtrack ever since. I think the greatest part of this particular story is that clearly whatever disease the mooch had is infectious. It is a contagious disease. The mooch calls up a reporter, forgets to say it's off the record, and then apparently Bannon says he did the exact same thing. Not smart, but Bannon may be on the skids. The easiest thing for Trump to do right now, by the way, is fire Bannon and then say, listen, I have to disassociate from all these people. They're really bad. Is Trump going to do that? I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. Maybe he fires Bannon, but I don't think that he, he – Trump is a guy who always doubles down, always doubles down. And that means that if you know he's bluffing, you should definitely play poker with him because he will just continue to double down. He'll go all in on nothing. He'll go all in on not even a pair of twos. He'll go all in on, on you know, two-seven offsuit. It's, it's, it's really, um, it's an unfortunate tendency. It's put Republicans in a, in a weird position. So the left has been saying, a lot of people in the media have been saying, when do the Republicans disassociate? When do they turn on Trump? Jeffrey Tubin, for example, on CNN, he says, Republicans are just mildly rebuking him. When will they really turn on him? No, we're talking about whether you can function as president of the United States. And he can certainly function because the Republican Party is not going to abandon him. Mitch McConnell said he was upset. You know, I'm upset when I can't find a good parking place. I mean, it is the mildest kind of rebuke. Do you think Mitch McConnell is not going to fight for tax reform now? Do you think that the Republican Party is going to stop trying to disenfranchise African-Americans like it's doing all over the country because Donald Trump said something bad? This is what the Republican Party stands okay, for Okay, you want now. to know why the Republicans aren't abandoning Trump? Because what the left means by abandoning Trump is not a thing. Okay, I keep hearing this. That I'm hearing this actually from some people with whom I largely agree on politics saying, you know, that, that if you call balls and strikes on Trump, then you're doing it wrong because you just have to disassociate totally from Trump. Um, it's not a matter of dis how do you disassociate from a human being? Like, what does that mean to just like never talk to me? I don't talk to Trump now. What does it mean to, to disassociate from him? I can't I can't support anything he does ever. I have to I have to yell at every single thing he does. Like, this is clearly what the media would like. Chuck Todd says that Republicans have to call out Trump. Uh, they're not doing it enough. But I'll tell you, how on earth is the party going to confront this crisis if it's unwilling to stand up against the person who arguably instigated it? We invited every single Republican senator on this program tonight, all 52. We asked roughly a dozen House Republicans, including a bunch of committee chairs. And we asked roughly a half dozen former Republican elected officials, and none of them agreed to discuss this issue with us today. So who's going to step up? The president has lost his moral authority for now. And in the process, he's tried to destroy or discredit everyone else's. Have all of our elites lost their moral authority? Or are they afraid to find out that the answer might be yes? Okay, so uh, th this, is the, this is the pitch of the media, is that every Republican ought to be coming out and yelling about this. Okay, so number one, um, there are some of us who have been yelling about this, right? I mean, like, I I've obviously been very... Uh, exercised over President Trump's failures to disassociate from the, from the alt-right. However, what the left really wants, and this is why I think you're seeing fewer Republicans who are resonating to what the left wants. The left is not intellectually honest about what they want. Okay, the le like, I don't know what they're talking about when they say high-level Republicans won't say anything, right? Here's, here's Rhonda McDaniels, who's the head of the RNC, and she's directly addressing white supremacists, and I think this is right. 
Well, the president condemned the white supremacists and the KKK and the neo-Nazis unequivocally. But it took 48 hours for him to do that. But he did it, and he should have, and he did. And our party has, across the board, said this is unacceptable. We have no place in our party at all for KKK, anti-Semitism, race, racism, bigotry. It has no place in the Republican Party. There is no home here. We don't want your vote. We don't support you. We'll speak out against you. The president has said so. The vice president, leaders across our party. This is the beginning of what needs to be a longer conversation. We are seeing this rhetoric ramp up. We are seeing more violence. And we need to take a stand against but it. You okay, so uh, obviously everybody is willing to condemn white supremacists. Why won't they condemn Trump? Why won't, they, why won't they speak Trump's name? Because they understand, and this is really one of the problems with political partisanship. I'm willing to say that President Trump did something wrong because I, th I think he did something wrong here. But what you are seeing is that what the left really wants is they think that you have not condemned Trump strongly enough unless you embrace their agenda. That's really what they want, right? Jeff Sessions, who's Trump's attorney general, he came out immediately and said, this could be a civil rights violation or a hate crime, right? It's not enough. Here's what Sessions said. I don't think we should just feel like we've got to do it in a matter of hours or days. This uh, investigation is ongoing around the country. It could be uh, 245, a civil rights violation, Title 18, 245, or 249, which is a hate crime. Uh, and there might be other charges that could be brought. Okay, so he's obviously taking the thing very seriously. What the left actually wants, and this is why you're seeing, there's a, a poll today that said 67% of Republicans approve of Trump's response. That's because, once again, when you poll Republicans about what they think of Trump, you're really polling them about what they think of the media. And when you poll Republicans about what, what you, they think of Trump, they're actually responding to what they think of the media because they know the media are asking them a question and they think the ulterior motive of the media is to destroy Trump and by proxy to destroy the Republican policy and governing agenda. So when people say, sure, I support how Trump handled Charlottesville, it doesn't necessarily mean they actually like how Trump handled Charlottesville. Many of them probably in the, in the privacy of their own homes and when they discuss with their Republican friends are not particularly happy with what Trump did with Charlottesville, but they're not going to tell that to a pollster from the Washington Post. Instead, what they're going to say is, fine, if it's you against Trump, I'm with Trump. Because that, that's the way that the left has, has drawn the battle lines, and that's the way the right has responded by drawing the battle lines. So instead of the, the, here's the way a normal conversation should go, right? The left says, Trump did something wrong here. And the right says, yes, Trump did something wrong here. And the left says, good, we all agree. But that's not how the conversation goes. What happens, the left says, Trump did something wrong here. And the right says, Yes, Trump did something wrong here. Or they prepare to say that, and then the left says, you know what, even if you say Trump did something wrong here, you still agree with him because you want to pass his tax agenda. And so what this leads to is, is sort of a game of, of chicken. It's really more of a prisoner's dilemma, as I've explained in game theory. It's more of a prisoner's dilemma where the best option for both sides, the dominant strategy for both sides, is to fall into the trap of defending their man. So if you're a Republican and you know that the Democrats' next step is to say, even if you condemn it, you're still a racist, then you say, fine, I'm just not going to condemn it. I know what your real agenda here is. Your real agenda is to just slander me. So screw you. I'm not engaging. That's what these polls are actually showing. I don't think the polls are showing that Republicans are racists or bigots. I think what the polls are actually showing is that Republicans hate the media, and so they are unwilling to answer the questions of the media honestly. I, I really think that's what it comes down to. Okay, so time for a quick thing I like and a thing I hate. Uh, there are enough big ideas today, so we won't do Big Idea Thursday. Uh, so things I like, I, I just I couldn't stop laughing at this last night. So last night I went to a ball game, um, and uh, my White Sox, who are 50 games under 500, were playing the Dodgers, who are 50 games over 500. Uh, and the White Sox were winning, uh, and they, they were winning 4-2. to two. 
Uh, they have a, a new young guy named Nicky Delmonico, who's just a terrific player. Uh, he hit two home runs in the game and a single, uh, and he was playing a terrific, terrific left field and uh, just great player. Everything is going swimmingly. Um, and then my dad and I know that the wheels are going to come off, so we leave at the bottom of the eighth inning, and naturally the wheels do come off, and the Dodgers win 5-4. So uh, that was, I had lots of fun at the game. It was, it was nice. There were a couple of people who tweeted, saw that I was at the game, tweeted uh, where I was, so uh, I, uh, I did some pictures, so that was fun. Uh, so hello, all of you who are listening, who were, who were at the game last night. Um, but uh, the, the best baseball moment was not just me and my dad at the game last night, uh, which was a blast. The best baseball moment of yesterday was the worst first pitch ever. This is an amazing first pitch. Uh, and this, I guess, happened at the Red Sox game. Uh, pretty incredible. I mean, you got to give credit to this guy. This is, this is hard to do. So if you can't see it, dude is throwing out the first pitch and <laughs> nails the guy right in the nads, just a bit outside. <laughs> just a bit outside. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> oh, man, that is not a good first pitch. I'm not sure who threw that first pitch, but um, kudos to him for bringing America together again. He's making America great again, I think, with that first pitch. Uh, he, he even tweeted, I think the guy who threw it tweeted, who knew that America could begin its healing process with a, with a fastball to the testicles? Uh, so, well done, Red Sox first pitch guy. Okay, now for a thing I hate. So the thing I hate today is the thing that I've hated for many and many and many a month. And that, of course, is John McKasick, a raisin in the sun, a man who looks like a wadded receipt you left in your pocket and then sent it through the wash. John Kasich, the governor of Ohio, the most self-aggrandizing human being ever, the person who single-handedly allowed Donald Trump to become the nominee of the party by refusing to get out and let us have an honest vote between Ted Cruz and Donald Trump in the latter part of the, of the race. He stayed in for no reason other than he's an egoistic n moron. Uh, and now he says he wants to primary Trump. This is, and so he's, he's out there bashing Trump because he wants to primary Trump. Pathetic, isn't it? Just pathetic listening to this and hearing these marchers. Think if you were a eight, nine, or 10-year-old getting ready to go to school like they are in Ohio, and uh, you happen to come from a Jewish family or if you're African-American, and you hear this kind of hatred, and we know about bullying that goes on in the schools, and what are we doing to our children? And to not condemn these people who went there to carry out violence and to somehow draw some kind of equivalency to somebody else reduces the ability to totally condemn these hate groups. Well Okay, so um, here's my problem. Okay, my problem is not with some of the things that he is saying here, but uh, my problem is that John Kasich obviously has political an uh, ambition and political agenda, and that's what infuses all of this. I mean, it, it doesn't sound like an honest take from Kasich. Kasich has been criticizing for Trump, uh, criticizing Trump over everything, large and small. And as I've said, since the beginning of this administration, you gotta wait to turn the needle up to 11 uh, for times when it deserves to be turned up to 11. John Kasich seems like a cynical manipulator. The, the idea that he's going to run in the primaries against Trump is just idiotic. Okay, if he runs in the primaries against Trump, he'll get 20% of the vote maximum. Uh, and, it's, and it's largely because most of the people who opposed Trump opposed him from the right, not from the left. And Kasich is coming at him from his left. So that's not going to be helpful at all. John Kasich, uh, you egotist, it is largely your fault that Donald Trump won the nomination of the Republican Party in the first place. And then here you are uh, doing this routine uh, just yeah, go away. Just go away. Okay, so we'll be back here tomorrow. I implore you again, everyone, try to have a nice day. And then tomorrow we can talk about nice things. And we'll do the mailbag tomorrow, so that'll be fun at least. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show.
We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 